Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are the light of the world. In this episode, Eckhart encourages listeners to release their thinking so they can become aware of what he calls their being. He says, most of us have a mistaken sense of identity based on what we think about ourselves. He explains, however, that's not who we really are. Eckhart goes on to quote Jesus who said, you are the light of the world. Eckhart believes what Jesus is saying is, you are the light of consciousness because that is our true identity and the source of our deepest essence. The essence of our gathering here and the essence of all spirituality is to discover in yourself the possibility of stepping out of thought and initially for brief moments. And that is an amazing thing before your identity was derived from the movement of thought. Your identity was derived from the narrative, the story of me, my life, was your identity, what you called my life. And now you become aware also when, when there's a moment of no thought, what is it that, who or what are you and I'm not just talking about it now, as I talk, let's do it. We're not doing it, it's the wrong word, but the language is very limited. <laughs> There's no doing, we're becoming aware of being, that's really what it is. So you, you don't do anything to become aware of being. So there's no thought in this moment. In this moment, let's pretend for a moment that Past and future don't exist. I'm saying pretend just to be more acceptable because ultimately past and future actually don't exist. But <laughs> to be more acceptable here, I'm saying let's pretend that past and future don't exist because where are they? I don't see them right here. Where's the past? Can't see any past and future. So okay, this is, this is all there is. And in this moment, you don't need to remember your name. I mean, until I mentioned it just now, you probably didn't. You weren't thinking of your name as you were sitting there, probably, unless you're mad. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you weren't thinking of your email address, and you weren't, thinking of, you weren't thinking of yesterday's breakfast, and you weren't thinking about your childhood as you were sitting there, hopefully. 
and so as you're sitting here, let's say if you don't remember anything about your life, what's left of your life, when you just come into this moment and say, this is all there is. And okay, then you have sensory perception. That's the first thing that you're left with is sensory perception, visual, auditory, and perhaps other tactile, breathing, scent, a little bit perhaps. The predominant ones are visual and auditory, but you can also feel perhaps your skin. So that's, you're coming, into, coming to your senses right now, coming to your senses without interpreting what you see. You don't need to interpret, you just see. Now what happens inside you if you don't interpret what's, what is there? Are you there as a person? No, the person is the whole conditioned mind. But when you just perceive, the person has subsided and but how, how, how is it possible for you to perceive? Well, obviously, there's a consciousness, there's an awareness that's the background to the perception. Or one could say it's the space in which the perception happens. You could say it's the light in which the perception appears. There is a presence. Now, next step, right here now, you're aware of your sense perceptions here. And how are you aware of yourself now if there's no memory in it? What's left of you? What's left of you is just a deep sense of presence or beingness. It has no form. In other words, what's left is a simple knowing that you are. Very hard to talk about, but you can sense the presence that you are. Can't say much about it, but undoubtedly this is the one thing that's beyond doubt is that you are conscious. And even that's not 100% correct, because if I say you are conscious, I've created a duality between you and as if consciousness were something that you have. But the essence of who you are, the I am, is consciousness. You are consciousness. You are awareness. And this is exactly what Jesus meant, or well, in churches it's not generally understood. It's exactly what he meant when he said to his disciples, you are the light of the world. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. 
start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time because messes happen because hey listen remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation and you were like i'm serious if that leaks over the counter it'll be a slimy abomination by the time i get back and i was like yeah 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 of course don't worry about it i won't forget (laughs) well oh yeah that happens so start clean with clorox use clorox products as directed rinse after use if in contact with food surface if a friend asks how you're doing And you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. He also said it about himself. There are two things he said. In, in one place in the New Testament, he says, I am the light of the world. In another place, he says, you are the light of the world. That's the most amazing pointer to who you are in your essence. It doesn't mean you are special. You are the light of the world, but you are not. We are the light of the world, but they are not. Does not to, to, to sense yourself as formless presence is so liberating. And then that becomes increasingly your, the foundation for your sense of identity. But it's no longer, it's very different from the form identity Now, the form identity remains for a while as a physical body and as the psychological form of you, but the difference is you no longer derive your sense of who you are from your form identity. You are not identified with your physical form or your person, the person, you're not identified with it. It's still there, but it no longer gives you your sense of who you are. That's an enormous shift and enormous difference. Your sense of who you are is timeless. It has nothing to do with your historical personality. Your sense of who you are as this essence has nothing to do with whether on the surface level of reality, your life can be considered a huge success story for a while until it ends, or <laughs> your life is a total failure. Let's say, you've, let's say if it's a total failure, you've taken one bad decision after another because you were totally unconscious, and anybody who's unconscious will take one bad decision after another. Well, occasionally you might have a lucky one, but it doesn't last. <laughs> and you end up, you're finally in a prison cell. The whole thing has been complete, a total, complete disaster and mess. I messed it all up totally. My whole life, I messed it all up. Now this thought, This narrative in your mind will create an enormous amount of unhappiness and strong ego too, but a very unhappy ego. But 
In your unhappiness, perhaps the ego would still be blaming others, can blame society or your parents or the unfair system. You, you are the victim of the system. That's a, victim is a wonderful ego food, I'm the victim. Everybody, of course, is a victim to, to one to a greater or lesser degree because living in this relatively unconscious world, people have done things to you, sometimes very bad, sometimes bad enough, but everybody has been, to some extent, the victim of other people, no doubt about that, and also some very bad things humans have done to other humans, no doubt about that. But the question is, is that memory and that narrative the basis for your sense of identity? Are you clinging to that, to that narrative of yourself as a victim, and that becomes the main part of your sense of who you are? That is a huge prison that's worse than a physical prison. If you have put yourself in a mental prison of victimhood, is is worse than a physical prison. So, but I just gave the example of somebody who has messed it all up, and now you're, you're ending up in, in a prison cell. Or you have somebody else who will like, say who has achieved great things, and now he's sitting in his, in his mansion and around where, where these wealthy young people, these uh, Silicon Valley, you've built up your huge computer empire with, uh, from your, the famous parents' garage, uh, yeah, it's all started, and now you have billions in the bank and your private jet. Now for the realization of the, your essence identity, and the, it makes no difference whether it's one or the other. The only difference is perhaps when things go wrong, so to speak, in your life, usually you are closer to it than when things go right. You're closer to it when you're not in your comfort zone than when you're in your comfort zone. So the guy in Silicon Valley or Wall Street or wherever they are, they may have to wait until the whole thing collapses and then they lose, they're no longer in their comfort zone. The spiritual awakening is very, very rare. I don't even haven't heard of anybody who became awakened in their comfort zone. Oh, that's bad news. <laughs> so it's when your surface reality becomes frustrating, that's the beginning of potentially finding the portal into the awakened state. But when your surface reality is relatively pleasant, by the way, it doesn't stay like that, but for the time being, let's say, it's relatively pleasant, you're not really mo motivated into finding the, the deeper essence of who you are, because why not, uh, let's fly to Paris. <laughs> we'll have a great meal there where you feel a little bit uncomfortable and discontent. Uh, okay, let's, let's go there, let's do this. Let's try this. 
more sensory experience. You can buy any sensory experience. And then after a while you find being in your comfort zone after a while becomes your discomfort zone. And then finally you made it. And then finally there's a possibility of awakening. And so the challenges that we encounter in life, many people have an attitude of resentment or a feeling that there's something very wrong with the world or there's something very wrong with my life when they're being challenged by difficult situations, difficult people, loss of some kind. Did I mention difficult people? Oh, yes. <laughs> you may find a lot of your suffering, unhappiness, strangely enough, comes from other people. They are so difficult. And often the very people that were supposed to make you happy, suddenly they don't fulfill their purpose anymore and they make you unhappy. It's called the divorce court. <laughs> and there's an implied belief that this shouldn't be happening. Life should unfold beautifully without all that stuff going wrong. And to some extent, yes. To some extent, especially as you live more consciously and no longer totally in the grip of ego, you're beginning to awaken, there's an awareness, you no longer create unnecessary suffering in your mind through reactivity, you're able to drop the, the unnecessary baggage of creating narratives and creating your own suffering through your narratives, you let go of that, so it's a huge chunks of suffering begin to fall away. But challenges still come, and even then, it doesn't mean everything will now go totally as expected and as, as it should. It's, there's still loss happening from time. There's still, you still come across difficult people. Well, it's like, I don't want any more difficult people. Yeah, but they're everywhere. <laughs> as the famous French philosopher said, hell is other people. He looked very unhappy, by the way. <laughs> well, the only photo I ever saw of him, he looked unhappy, so I don't know. Jean-Paul Sartre. <laughs> it's true, other people are difficult. So your life improves immeasurably as you become more conscious, but it will still challenge you. And it, you, it, it won't mean you will never experience loss again. It doesn't mean things may not go wrong still occasionally, not perhaps as drastically as before. You don't create your own mayhem and chaos anymore. <laughs> but challenges, yes, different kinds of challenges come. And if you no longer complain that a challenge shouldn't exist, difficulties shouldn't exist, obstacles shouldn't exist, Things should not be canceled, they shouldn't go wrong. <laughs> if you drop that expectation, then it's actually fine. But be careful that if you still have an unspoken assumption that there's something wrong when challenges happen, that would draw you back into unhappiness. There's nothing wrong when challenges happen, we grow through them. 
And if you hadn't had yours, you wouldn't be here. If I hadn't had mine, I wouldn't be here. So we wouldn't be here. We would not be here if, without it. And so retrospectively, we can actually be grateful for the suffering that we've had, retrospectively. <laughs> the question is, the challenges of life, when they come, do we transform them into unhappiness, or are we able to just face them and then go with it, go with them and do whatever action is possible or necessary or totally accept that at this moment, this is how it is. So when you live more consciously, you no longer convert the difficulties of life, the inevitable difficulties and challenges of life, you no longer convert them into unhappiness, which means they don't contribute anymore to your unhappy person identity. You're no, longer, you're no longer becoming a more unhappy person. You'd be surprised how many people's main sense of identity in this world is unhappiness. And they're just looking for the next thing to be unhappy about. And they always find something <laughs> or to complain about be angry about. There's an expression that then you become a grievance looking for a cause. <laughs> and you, of course, you always find the, the causes. So important thing then to realize that I'm sure there are some of you who have carried the burden of a very unhappy self for many years. And perhaps you're just beginning to step out of it. You're just perhaps beginning to transcend it. And there are still millions in this world who carry the burden of an unhappy narrative in their minds, unhappy self. And you think about then my life. Why did it come to this? Why didn't my own, these my expectations that I had when I was 20, why didn't they work out? Why did my marriage collapse? Why did I lose that job? Why did I succeed and made millions and then I lost them? Why, why? Why did I work for nothing for 15 years and then the whole thing that I built up collapsed? Why? It's a dreadful, dreadful. All this begins to dissolve because you realize it's an, you're unconsciously creating suffering and strengthening the egoic personality through that. And then my life then is just memories. And you begin to realize, as I sometimes put it, or people find it a little weird, when I say my life isn't a correct way of putting it because you don't have a life. You don't have a life. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. 
Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Start clean with Clorox. Because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... I had a charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Because if you have a life, there's you and life. How can you be separate from life? So if you don't have a life, one could even say you can't even lose your life. You can only lose something that you have, because, but you are life, you don't have a life. I am life and life and consciousness are synonymous. It doesn't mean that every form of life is conscious, but every form of life is, the way I see it is matter, the table, a rock, mineral, it's like frozen consciousness. Plant life is like liquid consciousness. It's an analogy. And the mind and thinking and beyond that, consciousness itself is like vapor, mist, it rises. This is a water analogy. All life is manifestation of the one the one underlying life or consciousness in manifold forms. So you are that. I am life is a wonderful realization. I am consciousness. I don't have a life. Yes, I have a history, but it's, the history is not my life. It's tough. It's stuff in the mind. It's memories. Hence, these are, all these things are wonderful that they happen to you, because they have brought about your awakening. They all make sense if you now look back on all the things that happened, including, and not, not only including, but especially the so-called bad things. They brought you to this point. They brought you, they pushed you into awakening. And some people, have to suffer so much that one could almost say they are forced into awakening or they become dreadfully unhappy. It's a good point to reach for humans is to become, become very frustrated with their life and the things of this world. It's not a bad place to reach that point. And you've all reached, you've all experienced to a greater or lesser degree becoming frustrated with the way things are and with your so-called life to a greater or lesser degree. Now, some people become are so totally frustrated, they say, I just can't take anymore. I just can't take not another day of this dreadful suffering of just one bad thing after another. It's awful. And that's a dangerous point to reach and a very potentially awakening point to reach. It's dangerous because it could take you to suicide, but if there's anybody here who, if that ever should happen again, or you're at that point now, where you feel close to, I would rather end it than carrying on the suffering. I'm suggesting an alternative possibility. If you're so frustrated, why not try 
the very simple thing, ultimately, of completely letting go of any resistance to, to whatever you're experiencing at this moment. Just surrender totally to this moment as it is. Your experience of this moment as it is. Yes, but I'm so unhappy. Then you accept that is this moment I feel this unhappiness, but I accept that this is my experience of this moment. Yes, but all my circumstances are so unpleasant. Look around here, this is awful. This. Yes, but I, I completely surrender to my experience of this moment. And then finally the mind has to stop because nothing else to say. And then you notice the moment you leave this moment with your thoughts, you begin to suffer again. And then that means, okay, and this, immediately the suffering is forcing you back into the present moment. And then after a while, some mind movement will come back. Oh, and this is how, if you're really that unhappy that you're close to suicide, you're very close to awakening. And it's even possible if you're... <laughs> it's even possible that you, you can go... For most people, awakening is a more gradual process. But if you're dreadfully unhappy and then you surrender, it could be a very sudden and drastic, immediate awakening. It wouldn't even be gradual anymore. You might still occasionally have to when you, when you sense the pull of old thoughts, it becomes so easy then to come back into the, the present moment. And this is why I have received letters from people in prison, some of them in for life, who have said, I'm free of suffering. I have surrendered. And they become a force, a power for good in their environment where it's very much needed. So whether your, your suffering is extreme or whether it comes in smaller doses, use it. Use the, the challenges and difficulties of life so that eventually you transcend what's the words of the Buddha. The Buddha defined his whole teaching by saying, I teach suffering and the end of suffering. That's what he said. Some of the things that you read in Buddhist scriptures were written much later, they are attributed by the Buddha, but some things are clearly to me uttered by the Buddha. And I teach suffering and the end of suffering is undoubtedly what he actually literally said in which it means. I teach suffering means I show you how suffering arises. I show you how you create suffering through unconsciousness and I teach the end of suffering, and I show you how you can transcend suffering and transcend the self that is ultimately illusory, because that's the second part of the Buddha's teaching, is that the self is an illusion. By that he means what we've been talking about, the form identity of you, that is, identification with that is the illusory self. And then the Buddha said, when they asked him, well, what's then, who are we then? What's the, what's the essence of it all? Who are you? Who are we? And 
he said, one of the, another term that he used is translated, not very well translated, as emptiness. Em that does not sound very inspiring at all. <laughs> uh, so, so if he says, your essence is emptiness, say, what do you mean emptiness? Uh, and then, of course, very often his teaching was such that, in, when they later talked about it, that when he was asked that question, he kept noble silence. In other words, he didn't answer, so. But he kept noble silence. That means he was just present, but didn't go into conceptualization. Does God exist, they asked him. And his answer? And that's the answer. To go into that beautiful space of no thought, or to realize within yourself that beautiful space of no thought. Space, I said. Now, remember what the Buddha said, emptiness, space, my translation would also the term sunyata would be spaciousness. The spaciousness, spacious awareness. The spaciousness of no thought. You have risen above thought, not fallen below thought. That's a beautiful place too. Below thought is a beautiful place of connectedness with being without even knowing it. The tree lives below thought and is an ex manifestation of the one consciousness too. Your dog, even your dog lives below thought. That's why he's so happy a lot of the time. <laughs> Has no self-image because you need thought to have a self-image. You need thought to have an ego. Some dogs and cats have beginnings of an ego because they've lived with people who have a huge neurotic ego, so they have adopted it a little bit. But most dogs are still, and cats are still surprisingly free of ego. They're just there. But below, we don't want to go there. We don't want to go below thought. But they are there, and they're beautiful. This is why people feel attracted to dogs, because the beingness to the eyes of the dog speaks to you, the being of the dog. You can sense, you feel more alive when you look in the eyes of the dog because the dog doesn't impose con uh, conceptualization to you. He has no conceptual identity. So for a moment, for a few seconds, the dog frees you of your conceptual identity in the head. <laughs> and the tail wags. Beautiful, below thought. The dog doesn't have a relationship with himself. Humans do. They don't love themselves, they don't hate themselves, they're not unhappy with their body or their appearance <laughs> because they don't have a mental image of themselves. So even the fattest dog is okay. <laughs> no problem. And now humans rise above thought 
And that's the spaciousness that the Buddha talks about. Emptiness is the usual translation. You become, you realize yourself as spacious awareness, not, it's formless is another word for it, formless consciousness. And what did Jesus talk about when they asked him about, when he said, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven, what has that got to do with Buddha's sunyata or emptiness or spaciousness? Oh, just a moment, let's see. Kingdom of heaven is very spacious. If you had to choose something in the sense-perceived world to, uh, to, as an analogy for emptiness, you would probably look at the spaciousness of the heavens. Kingdom of heaven, that's the old translation. In my translation, it is kingdom is dimension and heaven is spaciousness. So the kingdom of heaven that Jesus talks about is the dimension of spaciousness. And where is that? It's in you. It's a dimension of consciousness in you. Exactly the same what the Buddha talks about and points to. And it is realized when you are able to access this dimension of no thought. At first, yes, meditation can help, and it's a good thing, I recommend it. It may not be for everybody, but it can be very helpful as long as you don't feel that you're doing a meditation because the meditation is the realization of being, which is immediate. You cannot have a means to an end. If you, in order, I meditate in order to realize being, you immediately project the realization of being into the future, where it isn't, because there is no future, except as a thought in your head. The future is a thought in your head. Otherwise, some explorer would have found it. I have, a, I have found the future. <laughs> the undiscovered land. No, nobody has found it. It is for practical purposes. We need past and future. There's no doubt about it. But beyond that, we need to realize that we don't, we don't want to be trapped in the mental concepts of past and future. The future is experienced as a thought in your head, as is the past. So the future and past have their purpose, but we need to be able to go beyond them as regards our state of consciousness. And this is the, the arising of the timeless state of consciousness, the timeless dimension to who you are. It's the liberation from the person. Spaciousness, the kingdom of heaven, the dimension of spaciousness, it's here and now. So to be able to step out of thinking, I recommend highly that you practice contemplation, if only for brief moments, sensory perception, without imposing thought on what you're perceiving. Just a clear, alert seeing this, just looking. And you immediately, there's a difference. 
a different dimension to what you are perceiving. You can look at a flower or a tree, and before, when you perceived through thought, the veil of thought, you thought you knew what it is you're looking at because you had a label for it. In many, many cases, in most cases, it's just, just because you have a label for something doesn't mean you know what it is. It's, a, it's, a kind, it's conceptual knowledge is a, a lot like that. You have labels for something, and that is our civilization knows only this kind of knowledge, conceptualization, analysis, con accumulate knowledge through con its conceptualization. You have access now to vast knowledge through the internet. All of mankind's, humankind's, what does Trudeau say? People kinds. <laughs> <clears throat> all of, all of people kinds' uh, knowledge can is at your fingertips. On the, on the internet. Is that going to save us? Is that going to save the world? Is more of that, just need a bit more knowledge and then we're, we're going to sort out all the problems of the world. We need a bit more knowledge. Okay, we have a lot already. <laughs> or is there another dimension of knowing, of knowledge that we have completely neglected? Yes. And what is that dimension? That's the dimension of knowing through awareness, which is non-conceptual. So you can look at a tree without a single thought in your head, and suddenly you know this tree in a non-conceptual way, which, which means, if I had to put it in words, you can sense the being of the tree. You can sense even the sacredness of the tree but you can only sense that because you're in touch with that dimension within yourself. And you're no longer misled by concepts. You can still use concepts when you need them, but you're no longer burdened by concepts. And then you can look at a tree and can sense the vastness and the mystery and the aliveness and the sacredness and the stillness that surrounds the tree a whole new dimension of interacting with a tree that, that you had no idea of when all you had in your mind was ideas about the tree. You can do the same thing as I know these days, tourists walk around places and visiting tourists are everywhere. Uh, interesting branch species has developed out of humans, <laughs> tourists. I occasionally, <laughs> and they, they go around with, they walk, uh, my favorite example, in Europe you have cathedrals, in other places you have temples, beautiful buildings, they've been there for hundreds of years or, or thousand years. You walk into a temple, you walk into an ancient cathedral, and you can hire a tape, not, it's not tape anymore, it's a digital thing you put in your ears, it's your guide, you hire this machine, it guides you through the cathedral and it talks to you all the time. It just, you, after you've done that, it takes an hour. You have learned so much about this cathedral. Nothing wrong with that. But have you truly experienced that place? Have you really been there? In order to really experience that place, you can't do it through knowledge, although knowledge has its place. To really experience it, you need to say when you go to the door, 
when they say, do you want to rent this thing? I say, no, thanks. And then you walk through the cathedral and you go, wow, God. And after half an hour, an hour, maybe you sit there for a while, just so take it all in, absorb it. And after an hour, you walk out. And if somebody then asked me, asked you, well, how, what have you learned? Nothing. <laughs> and yet, you have had a very deep experience of that place. And that's another way of knowing that's totally neglected in our civilization. It's all connected with awareness, with the, with the awakening, with presence. So there are two ways of knowing, conceptual and non-conceptual. If you, if you neglect the non-conceptual, you miss a whole dimension of life. And actually the most important, the very foundation of life is then missed. And you get trapped in just one half of life, which is the conceptual. And the, the other half just doesn't exist for you. And if a civilization continuously ignores, even discourages people from realizing that other half, I don't believe it can last for very long. So, and that, that, that other way of knowing from a conceptual viewpoint looks like ignorance. That's the strange thing. So when you walk into the cathedral or the temple and you go like this, you don't, you don't know anything. From a conceptual viewpoint, you become comfortable with not knowing conceptually. But in that not knowing conceptually, there's a deeper knowing that has nothing to do with concepts. And that's not taught at school or universities, unless there's a, in, some individual teachers perhaps bring it in. And that's the way in which you know yourself also. It's not, you can't just, you know the famous dictum in ancient Greece, know thyself, that goes back to Pythagoras, the first philosopher, the most important thing. Now you can know yourself, again, you have the two dimensions. Know yourself on the one hand means know, know what makes up your personality, know about your, your past, about why you do things, why you have certain reactive patterns, all that's very useful. You can, talk, you can go to a psychoanalyst and the psychoanalyst will help you on that level to know yourself. And then, well, when you were seven, what did you experience then? Oh, well, this, and then, and then what about when you were eight? Okay, that's right. And nine, oh, that was terrible. Oh, God. <laughs> now, there is a place for that. It takes a long time, of course, to find out more about yourself. Psychoanalysis can take, some people are in it for 20 years. I'm not saying this, it's wrong, but it's this one dimension of knowing yourself, and it's not the fundamental dimension of knowing yourself. The dimension of knowing yourself is knowing yourself not through concepts, but knowing yourself through awareness, or not only through awareness, as the awareness, as the consciousness. And then you have, then that's, that's then a balanced human life a balanced human life is when you know yourself as a human being. A human, no, that's a beautiful term. Human being, two things. 
You know yourself as the human, which is who or what you are as a personality, but you also know yourself as the being. The being is, is not a, nothing to do with concepts. The being is the consciousness itself. The human is the ripple. The being is the ocean. And when you realize yourself as the being, then the, the ripple is fine for as long as, as long as the ripple is a ripple, actually has a much better existence than before when the ripple didn't know his or her own essence. Once the ripple knows its essence, the ripple life actually, although not completely free of challenges, the ripple life actually becomes much more pleasant. You can actually enjoy the things of this world. You can enjoy other human beings. You can enjoy even having things, but you're no longer looking for yourself in any of these things. And most importantly, you're no longer looking to the world or whatever the world can offer you and looking for some ultimate fulfillment or happiness through the things of this world, the surface dimension. And this is a wonderful shift when you realize nothing in this world is going to make you really ultimately happy, not for long. Brief moments, yes, but not for long. And that's amazing. First of all, it looks, oh no. <laughs> but of course, it's good news. It's good news. Nothing, you drop the demand that a human being, another person, a situation, a place, or some kind of achievement should make you happy. You say to them, make me happy, come. <laughs> Why can't you doing it? And, and then you say, there's something wrong with this world. It's not making me happy, I have failed. It must be me, because everybody else is obviously happy. And then you drop the demand that a place, person, achievement, attainment, possession should make you happy, because you realize the being of yourself. That's where true happiness, joy, aliveness, peace, stillness, arise. That's already there. The rest is the icing on the cake, which is there for a while. You enjoy it when it's there. And then, of course, everything goes after a while. It dissolves. The Buddha's famous teaching on impermanence, don't attach yourself to and look, look your, for yourself in anything that's impermanent, and everything is impermanent. Fleeting comes and goes. So you have the, the two dimensions. And then you're no longer just a human. That's so frustrating to be just a human without the being. And you are a human being. Wow, that's like such liberation from just being human. Become comfortable then with what, from a conceptual viewpoint, looks like a state of ignorance, which is, you remember the example I gave, walking around a cathedral or a temple or looking at a tree. From a conceptual viewpoint, it looks like ignorance, but there is a deep knowing there that's nothing to do with concepts. 
So you become comfortable with not knowing. That's a beautiful place to be. Become comfortable with not knowing. And then you'll find that when you do, when the mind begins to operate out of that state of not knowing, you have actually many interesting insights and ideas and realizations. But you need to be rooted in not knowing. Rooted. That's a very, very powerful way of being. So you have the two dimensions. The human is then rooted in the being. So become comfortable with, you don't need to continuously interpret everything around you. Become comfortable with just the famous Beatles song, let it be. Become comfortable with letting it be without imposing anything on it. Situations, you remember we talked about situations, narratives about situations, let it be. No need to interpret everything. Become comfortable with not knowing. Again, when you look at another human being, you need to immediately interpret who they are and whatever, have immediate opinions and judgments about them, or can you just look at somebody and just have no judgment? Just take them in, spacious awareness, just looking, just listening. Listening, another thing that comes with not knowing. When you truly want to listen, you cannot know and listen. Your mind needs to be still and alert, which is the state of not knowing, when you're listening to another human being. That's creative listening. And creative listening is the only way two human beings can fruit, fruitfully interact with each other and have, then have an, a, a fruitful outcome, the interaction, when each one, or at least one of them, can be in that state of pure listening, which is not knowing, not immediately formulating thoughts. So that's the, the practice of stepping out of thought. What helps, especially initially, as you step out of thought, is to feel the aliveness in your inner body, to feel the aliveness in your inner body that can become an anchor for not thinking, but not falling below thinking, no, not being staying alert. And then you realize when you're present, you're present with your entire body. It's not just the, it's not the sense-perceived physical body, there's, there's some, something deeper there, but you can feel that as every cell of the body, even here and now, you can feel the aliveness that pervades the entire body that can become an anchor for presence. So that's the new consciousness that's arising, means human beings are able to live in both dimensions. And that is the rest for the rest of your so-called life. I say your life because we know you don't have one anyway. <laughs> the rest of your so-called life, which is not yours, is that is the, the practice is to live that. And that's the purpose, whatever you do, Otherwise, is secondary. Just bring that into what you do and wherever you are. You bring in that practice that after a while it's not a practice anymore. It's a natural way of being. So you're no longer completely absorbed any longer in the 
conceptualizing mind. So basically, this is the essence of it all. This is the secret of life or the secret of the universe for the time being. Thank you. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Eckhart Tolle, Essential Teachings, the podcast. You can follow these essential teachings on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, go to Spotify and follow this podcast. Join us next week for more enlightened teachings from Eckhart Tolle. Thank you for listening. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... The charcoal mask, great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh, Hello? Hey, Janice, I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. (laughs) No, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.